This is One in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 54 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I'm so happy to both welcome and be talking with uh, one of the newest members of the Anderson community, Dr. Gina Feliciano, who has just joined us as Senior Program Director. Gina, good morning. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Anderson family. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here. This is my third full week at Anderson, and yes, I am counting the days because I think it's going to go by so quickly. The next thing you know, I'm going to be sitting here in eight years talking about all we've accomplished. Yes, I can attest to that. Uh, this month I'm celebrating 13 years at Anderson, and it feels oh, like my I goodness. just started. Um, so <laughs> I've had amazing. the benefit of doing a lot of different things at Anderson, and I loved all of them and learned a tremendous amount, but it does fly by. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that things are starting off on the right foot for you. Um, I, I thought that um, it would be good for our listeners to get to know you a little bit and to hear um, we can maybe start with um, your professional background and sure. um, go as far back as you want to. I know you've done some really amazing things already in your career, but I'd love to hear um, about what got you involved with uh, with autism and um, applied behavior analysis and um, and program from way back when all the way till now. And I don't mean way back when because you are um, certainly <laughs> young and have lots I've of been in front of you, but, um, but I, I just know that it, you have had a very um, robust career, I'll say. So if yes. you could take us back to wherever you want to start and, and tell us your story. Okay. I actually do think it's important to go back to the beginning because it's how I fell into the field. And as we're talking about staff recruitment and retention, it, it's relevant now. First mm-hmm. of all, I can't believe how long I've been in the field. It's I'm not going to tell you how many years because, you know, it will, it will bias the listeners. Fair but I first became interested in working with people with disabilities when I did an internship as an undergrad at Fordham University. And back in the day, my internship was at Bronx Children's Psychiatric, which luckily no longer exists in that fashion, although there still is a campus with an amazing um, psychiatric residential children's program on it. On it. It's phenomenal. Um, so what happened was I did an internship there and felt really terrible about the conditions in which the students lived in and which resulted in them ending up in this inpatient psychiatric facility. And my cooperating teacher was phenomenal and my undergrad professor was phenomenal and he actually was a behavior analyst before that term was even invented. But all the classes I took with him were on learning theory, primarily in animal learning theory, but it was so fascinating to me that you could take those same principles and use them with individual staff, students, and help them learn skills. And that it changed my life. It literally, as an 18-year-old, changed my life. So I studied as much as I could with him, and then right from undergrad, started working with adults with developmental disabilities and um, psychiatric diagnoses, many of which had been residents of Willowbrook. Mm-hmm. And again, the opportunity really changed my life, and there was no looking back from them. Decided to pursue my master's and then my doctorate, and really was just so like drawn to helping people and helping people live in a better way than in which they had previously. And, and really that's how it all started and just kept going from there. And I've worked with people with the development of disabilities 
from early intervention age up through geriatric and residential settings, school settings, push-in supports, pull-out supports. I, I think I've had almost every job under OPWDD and state ed. <laughs> but not very many people can say that, but it certainly would, um, you know, give you a breadth of experience. And I love the the idea that you've worked with uh, the full range of um, of ages, because mm-hmm. um, that certainly does apply to Anderson too. Although we're not in EI Absolutely. at this point, the idea that you're working um, and now and now really uh, directly involved in running the program for both children and adults, yes. um, you know, as you know, a big thing in the field right now is that uh, service provision throughout the lifespan. Mm-hmm. Um, um, which which I, I would love at some point for you to work into. I just would like to, to, for you to share your thoughts on that. Um, to me, it's an area of the field that um, that probably could use some more attention and thought. Um, so many services have been focused on children for so long mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear your, your experience and your thoughts about um, even our aging population at Anderson because we certainly do have one. Um, right. Okay, so keep going. Keep going. That's an that's well, incredible that, that's- foundation. That's a, I think now is a good time to talk about that because I think unless you've been in the field for as long as some of us have, you don't really understand how a disability affects someone in the lifespan, across the lifespan, including how it impacts their families. So you have to have been around the block a bunch of times in order to, to take that holistic or global perspective on the impact on a family. So I think that, unfortunately, when we all start in this field, we don't know that. We're not going to know until we've had more exposure. When I worked primarily in early childhood, all I ever looked at was early childhood. I thought it was so important to work with families and to work with individuals when they were really young. Their brains are still pliable, teach as much as we can, as intensively as we can. And I do still believe in that, but you don't always think about what comes after, what happens when a child leaves an early childhood setting and then moves on to a day school setting and then what happens when they move into a residential setting. And since I have worked in all of those arenas, I can see the full picture, which I think makes me a better trainer of staff. I think it makes me a better mentor to staff. I think it makes me a better model for the staff that we're trying to retain in this field because you can talk a little bit about what happens next or how do we prepare the individuals that we're working with when they're babies, when they're children, when they're young adults for what comes next because right. I've seen what comes next at all of those age levels, at all of those different life transitions and also how do you support the families during that because there are a lot of really difficult times in the family's well, life during those I- transitions. Absolutely, and I think certainly one thing I've heard over the years from from Anderson families and other families I've interacted with is that um, that there's a there's there's a lot of sort of milestones right as somebody's developing, yes. um, but that change from exiting the school system mm-hmm. at age eighteen or twenty one, depending on on what program you're in, right. um, the phrase that is most often shared with me is from families is it feels like you're falling off a cliff mm-hmm. um, because there is nothing um, or not enough. Let's just say. Um, right. In terms of in terms of that planning, from various places, um, but I but I think when you were just talking, it really made me think of you said something about um, being a good trainer, and and I'm mm-hmm. lo- I'm loving hearing that that's how you see a, a large part of your role at Anderson. Absolutely, I think it'll be incredibly impactful. Yes, um, but you're right. You know, whether you're trained as a teacher or trained mm-hmm. as a, an OT, a PT, a speech pathologist, a behaviorist, like there's often just by nature of your training a sense that um, you're focusing in this one period of time. But if you're actually providing the service that, you, that you're trained to provide with thought about 
the next level of that person's development mm-hmm. as an adult, for example, it probably would <laughs> change some of the way you might do certain things because you're not necessarily teaching to a checklist um, of where that person should be today. Um, right. And I think that must, I would think that would coincide a lot with families because as um, as we all raise, or those of us who are fa- parents, if we raise our children, whether on the spectrum or not, mm-hmm. I think that's inherently part of what parents do is you're always kind of thinking about the future, especially when it pertains to when I'm not, you know, the person who's who's raising you day to day and with you day to day. So it's so interesting. Um, and and so far in your three weeks, because you know <laughs> you've been here so long, but in your three weeks, are you are you finding that um, the staff that you're interacting with are, are receptive to, to your thinking on this and, and the way you're looking at um, starting to really delve into the work. Yes, and actually I was fortunate enough to meet a, a handful of key team members from Anderson Adult Services before I came to work here, and it was one of the reasons why I was like, this would be a really great place to work. Um, so I already knew what their perspective was before I got here because I had a really great introduction to Sean and Emily and Alex. It kind of blew us away from the other agency that I was working in. We were all really impressed by what we saw and what we were talking about with them. So then to come here knowing that, there were already people here who were super motivated and interested in looking at how to provide better services, how to support the staff, how to use data in a meaningful way to do all of those things. I already was exposed to it. And then the people that I've met so far in children's, it's been the same thing. The only downside has been obviously COVID has impacted how many students are around right now and getting to meet the teachers and the full teams. But yes, everyone is, is saying that this is what they're interested in in learning about how do we use data to better train our staff, to have better outcomes for the staff and students, which speaks to what we were talking about, because that's the information we use to determine if we're doing a good job helping the students here on campus, if they're students or the adults, meet these important milestones. And for us, it's often about independence. How much Mm -hmm. independence can we foster with these guys? And for some of our guys, it's only going to be, not only, but it's going to be functional communication, mm-hmm. leisure skills, and adaptive living. And those are really, really important because they allow you to go to something less restrictive, and that should always be the goal. So, yeah, it's been a great introduction. I mean, everyone has been incredible. Everyone here is really motivated, and the resources are just phenomenal. Well, that's great to hear, um, and I feel the same way. I think you've really joined a community that's perfectly poised right now to um, to go to that next I guess next level or next um, uh, next spot in the continuum of, of fulfilling our mission, um, which I'm sure you know, I'm sure you heard many times, optimizing yeah, the quality of life for people with autism. And when I think about that mission and whenever I talk about it, so many things come to mind, but certainly independence. Um, independence with the with the complete understanding that quality of life is going to be different for each person, or the way it's yeah. optimized is going to be is going to look different for each person, mm-hmm. um, is really important. And um, and I think your approach and and um, and the, the team approach that you're going to be taking is is so key to that. I also have to say um, I've worked with the admissions team at Anderson for a very long time, and it really is what families are looking for. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's going to be a really nice match between you and and the community moving forward. And on that note, I will say we are down to about 20 seconds before we need to take a quick break, so I'm going to do that, and then when we come back, I'd love for you to share a little bit about uh, more about yourself outside of work and, and your general approach to all things, um, because I think it will give a, 
our listeners a sense of um, what to expect and, and um, a little bit more in terms of your specific roles at Anderson. Sure. This is 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. In this time of unprecedented challenges, we've seen kindness and resilience light the way. Countless heroes are making courageous sacrifices for the greater good, and the team at Anderson Center for Autism are among those heroes. With tireless dedication and unwavering compassion, they're giving everything they've got to protect the health and well-being of people with special needs. On behalf of the Anderson family, they extend their heartfelt thanks. You are true humanitarians. Thank you for inspiring us every day and for all you're doing to light the way. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Welcome back to 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking this morning with Senior Program Director at Anderson Center for Autism, Dr. Gina Feliciano. Uh, Gina just arrived three weeks ago, and um, thank you so much for sharing your background and some of your sort of broad thoughts um, about about serving people with autism. Um, I wonder if now if we could, uh, I, I mean, I, you've run programs, correct? I mean, maybe just a quick yeah. couple minutes about some of the very specific things you've done leading into your role here at Anderson. Yes, I've been running programs for a really, really long time, um, starting with early intervention center-based programs. Did that in a couple of different settings. And interestingly, interestingly enough, I've done it in a for-profit pediatric therapy agency, which is a very interesting spin on service provision, but a really good lesson in regards to how the bottom line ties ties into quality service provision. So that was a that was a good life lesson. So yes, early intervention center-based programs, early intervention home-based programs, preschool center-based programs. I probably spent the majority of my career running preschool center-based programs um, in New York City. So that's a very different animal because of the different layers of bureaucracy um, based on the funding sources and how New York City oversees and regulates not only school programs, but programs that have daycare licenses. So a lot a lot of moving parts, a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of interactions, obviously, on a daily basis with New York City Department of Education, which does things very differently than in the rest of New York State, and right. then just from the sheer volume of the amount of students that they provide services to. I've run residential, um, residential settings, so group homes back in the day when they were called group homes and were quite large, 15-bed residences, which is not something that you, you see anymore. Um, yeah, I think... I think that, oh, in day school, yeah, uh, five to twenty-one years old. 
those types of programs as well. School. I mean, really, that background sets you up beautifully for the role that you've um, that you've taken at Anderson, because obviously we serve children technically age five through twenty one in the children's campus, and then and then through the lifespan, which we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like I said before, I mean, the, the the feedback we get from families, whether they've just come through on their first tour or virtual tour, now that we do this because of uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, having seen other programs, or they've been here. There's one parent I can think of, Jean, who's just wonderful, who's had a daughter here for 40-plus years. Um, She came when she was six, and she's now a long-term member of our adult services program. Um, You know, but the the feedback is always very similar, which is that it feels like a family. It feels like a really Mm -hmm. strong community. Mm -hmm. We have a group called Anderson Family Partners, which I'm sure you'll be asked to uh, present at. Um, Sooner rather than later, you'll hear from me another time on that one. Um, but really just a strong, uh, closely-knit community. And, um, and and also because we, for many years, have focused specifically on serving people with autism, mm-hmm. um, it, it seems to our culture and I think our, our level of expertise overall speaks very directly to families who mm-hmm. know that their child will benefit from very specific, uh, specific services. So just right. thrilled to, to have you here with, with all that experience and your enthusiasm. Um, yes, excited. So... So I wanted to also shift gears a little bit and just ask you, you know, your your background, which I'm going to throw out there to some degree because we we were allowed to share it in our press release. Um, you you are um, involved in I would call it just because I'm not involved in any to this degree <laughs> extreme maybe some extreme sports or or um, I don't recreation Ironmans triathletes I believe um, you're right. a big avid hiker I think mm-hmm. um, so I'm just curious if if there's parts of your personal life that you may want to talk about in terms of your view on life in general that you think are going to impact some of the decisions that you make in your role at Anderson? Well, they're absolutely related, and I don't know if it's by coincidence or or by design, but the things that I'm interested in outside of work are all related to very long, persistent efforts that oftentimes require a good amount of pain and suffering, which I relish and welcome. So I don't know. you know, people can, make, can draw their own conclusions from that. But I am an endurance athlete. Um, my background is in endurance sports. But I came to it very late in life, not till I was 30. So I really did nothing until I was 30. So I kind of took what I learned as a professional and also as a longtime grad student and sort of just applied it. Like if you continue to chip away at things, if you set goals, create short-term objectives, you kind of you can get to them. Like nothing is impossible. I, re- I really do believe that, and I also think it's important to – Never say no. Like, how can I try to get there? Um, mm-hmm. Quitting's not an option. So some of those slogans and key phrases you hear from other athletic pursuits and endeavors is how I live my life in general, both at work and outside of work. Right. So I can endure for long periods of time, and I like that because I see what's at the end of it. And I've rarely been disappointed, rarely, and I rarely – I don't want people to take this the wrong way um, – I rarely fail, but it's because everything is is specific and measured. I don't go into anything without researching it, without doing due diligence, without doing my homework. I'm very cautious, careful, consistent, so I always meet my goals. I mean, always. I I rarely will bail on something. So it's the same, work and my recreational pursuits, and they're both fun, and sometimes they're both really hard. I I think that's a great analogy, and I appreciate you sharing some of that um, personal stuff with us. I 
You know, it's interesting when you said, um, I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but I rarely fail. I, I find that, I mean, you and I can have a different conversation another time about right. this, but I, it's a very interesting thing when um, when we pause about saying something like that. Um, right. I understand where you're coming from. I think it, it's a sense of, like you said, it's it's not because it's magical. It's because no, not at all. you take on challenges that you feel that you can break down into measurable goals and outcomes, and you can get there, um, and right. then you do. Uh, I, I love that when it comes to, again, going back to the part of your role with Anderson that's going to involve uh, direct supervision and training of mm-hmm. folks, many of whom have been at Anderson for many, many years and are thirsty for a new level of maybe deeper, more um, data-driven or outcome-driven um, opportunities to really create the impact that, they're, that they've been doing for, you know, for so long. Um, and I also want to comment, and you said you never say no. Um, it's interesting because I just take the – I take it – the same idea, but I, I often find myself in trainings that I do with Anderson staff, and I talk with people about find ways to say yes. Right. Um, my, my experience at Anderson, one of the reasons why I've had so many opportunities to do different things there is because when opportunity knocked, mm-hmm. I said yes. And many mm-hmm. times I was scared out of my mind and Absolutely. maybe didn't exactly know what it was all going to look like. But when you're in that mindset where you can say yes to things and say, but, it's, you know, we're going to find a way, um, it's, it's, a, it's a nice approach that often leads to further opportunity with an understanding that it maybe leads to a stepping stone to another opportunity. It doesn't all have to just be this one big, heavy decision. So right. um, I love that, and I, and I think um, – just hearing you talk, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a really nice asset as you're doing your work. Um, and, and I'd like to just jump in on that for sure. one second because you talk about opportunities to when you're doing staff training and staff training and development. I think that that's where our roles as more seasoned professionals is really important because when I was new to the field, I didn't really have many people saying that to me, like learning to accept um, challenges. I just did because mm-hmm. that is my personality. But we work with staff who don't know that that's an option, don't know that opportunities can come your way and that it might be difficult and it might be challenging and it's okay to accept that, but that there's people there to support you and give you the resources and tools so that you don't fail. I think that that's a really important role of ours as staff trainers, as mentors, as supervisors to say, you know, I'm going to teach you to accept a challenge and to not say no, and you can apply that to your work. You can apply it to considering going back to school and furthering your career, and then your outside pursuits. I think that that's a lesson that we can teach people, and I think that that's really important. That's great. I am like-minded, um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm all in for that. I, uh, I, we only have a couple minutes left, and I want to bring something up that I hope is okay. Sure. Um, it yeah. occurred to me because I, my office um, has a window that looks out on the, on the parking lot, and I don't mm-hmm. see you very much uh, yet mm-hmm. because of COVID and because of our distancing and, and doing a lot of meetings by phone. Mm-hmm. But I'm w- sitting there the other day, and I'm looking out the window, and at first I thought that there was um, something bright and beautiful like, you know, out my window, maybe a bird or something. And um, then it was moving, and I realized and I remembered that you often have a beautiful flower of some kind in your hair. And um, and and I've seen it enough that I'm thinking: Is this something that you that you choose to do? Is it a daily thing? What does it say about you? I mean, are you know? Um, uh, I, I, I think that it it really stands out to me. It makes me happy when I see you, and and I'm wondering if that goes way back in your life, or if there's any story behind it. There is a story behind it. And it doesn't go so far back. It's actually a pen. Um, oh. So as soon as I get to work every day, I take the pen out of the cup holder and put it in my hair because as a 
program manager, as a director, you're always on the move, but you oftentimes need to write things down. So I started wearing one of these. Um, I always put pens in my hair, and then several years ago, some teaching assistants at one of the schools I was overseeing at the time made a, a bouquet of these pens for another staff person, and I just adopted one, and it's kind of been my signature since then because I always would have a pen in my hair anyway. So they let me take two of them when I left. But when I had my going-away party at my last job, it was one of the – they had a quiz, like a game show, and I left, and one of them was about the pen in the hair. So it's a pen. I love that. And actually, yeah. it does say something because you're sort of always yeah. ready to go. You were always prepared. Yeah, always. But mm-hmm. I think it also shows that part of your personality that um, hopefully people will recognize as approachable and um, and positive and, you know, while obviously focused on work and outcomes, um, mm-hmm. focused on, on the positive aspects of, of what that brings for everybody because we are optimizing the quality of life for people with autism. But what I always say and what I see every single day at Anderson is that while we're doing that, we end up optimizing the quality of life for ourselves and for each oh, other. Absolutely. So it's kind of, it's like an all-around thing. Yes. Um, well, thank you, you for sharing fun. that story. Thank you, yes. Gina, for sharing your background. And um, we really look forward to having, I look forward to getting to know you better. I think everyone at Anderson is really looking forward to working with you as we, um, I guess, get to the next couple weeks. You're almost a month in, so there yep. you go. <laughs> and, um, and I really appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It really was great. All right. This is 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 